So it's going to completely transform the way homeowners electrify their home. What people don't know is 40% of all carbon emissions in the United States come from the home. So when you think about GoodLeap, we'll have a digital platform that allows these consumers to finance these things very easily um, and, and do multiple things to electrify the home and have one single loan. Hey, delighted to have my friend Hayes here today from American Optimist. Hayes, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's an honor to be here, Joe. Thanks. Look forward to talking to you. Let's take a step back a little bit and talk about your story. So you've, you've been involved in, in quite a few success stories. Good Leap's the latest, the latest one you're running, which is huge. How'd your career get started? What's, what's the background? Yeah. So uh, look, I grew up in Missouri. I grew up in a one-bedroom apartment with my mom and uh, washer worked three jobs. And so I learned the value of, uh, you know, uh, saving $20 and, and a washer and dryer was, uh, was not, uh, in our world. You know, I watched her go to literally a laundromat growing up and grind. And so I came out, I, as you would imagine, a lot of fire, a lot of passion. Um, you know, you think some of the fire, were you frustrated that you had to deal with some of those things? Yeah. Or? You know, for me growing up, I had a, a learning disability, uh, like, uh, dyslexia. It's a form of dyslexia called dysgraphia. And so, um, you know, I didn't go to Stanford like you. I, uh, you know, I candidly, you know, I wanted to, and uh, I admired a lot of people that did, but I couldn't get that ACT score, that SAT score. Um, I had like a B plus average in school. So I had a little chip on my shoulder, you know, yeah. growing up. And I was like, oh man, you know, I want to, I got, I have something to prove to myself and, uh, and my friends and family and things along those lines. And so I went to University of Missouri, just a, you know, decent school in, in Missouri. Uh, but when I graduated, I moved to Silicon Valley. So I moved uh, to Silicon Valley in 1995. And you moved there because you wanted to build something? Yeah, I was into technology. I knew that some of the greatest entrepreneurs in the world lived in the Silicon Valley. And I wanted to be surrounded by individuals like you and others um, that were really driven to create world positive businesses at scale. And so uh, my career really started at Oracle. I worked there for about eight years and it gave me an opportunity to be you know, around really, really talented people from the top universities uh, throughout the country and the world. And uh, it gave me a lens that I needed. What'd you learn from them? Well, there's a few things, I guess. I would say one, think big. It was like this broad think of, yeah. you know, you're around all these intellectuals and people that are really inspired to solve some of humanity's biggest problems, build some of the most disruptive technology in the world. And so just that power of proximity, being surrounded by other individuals that were thinking a little bit differently than me coming from a small town. So once I kind of shook off, mm -hmm. um, you know, a little bit of the, uh, you know, the typical, uh, you know, Missouri Midwestern mindset mm -hmm. uh, and, and started to work at Oracle over that decade, it like, gave me a lens for what could be created. I think Oracle and Missouri are kind of opposite ends of a spectrum of aggressiveness, right? <laughs> well, at that time it yeah. was, right? I yeah. mean, think about it. 1995, Internet basically didn't exist yeah. yet. Email basically didn't exist yet. My friends would make fun of me. They'd say, hey, why don't you send me an email? I'm like, guys, you realize in like 10 years, it's going to be like you saying, <laughs> give me a phone call, right? You know? And so it was, it was just a nice place for me to be, to get settled in, build that friend network that was going to go on to do some great things. And Oracle was kind of like, a, they call it mediating sales culture. It was aggressive, right? Or, or no? Or it wasn't well, really like that. I, I wouldn't call it aggressive. I would say it was, it was very innovative. Like at the time yeah. I started out as a kid in a cubicle that was selling, uh, you know, Oracle database 7.0. And what mm -hmm. I couldn't believe was you could sell multi-million dollar deals. And then I'd say, well, what, what do they receive? And they'd say, oh, like a CD. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. We're like selling air for That's millions awesome. of dollars out yeah. of a call center. And that was, that was very eye-opening for me at that time. 
And so what, what led you to build your own company? I think um, I started to think about kind of mission and purpose. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I'd been there a long time. I had done some great transactions there. Uh, I kind of worked my way up, obviously, out of that kid in a cubicle into, into some bigger roles within the organization. But I started thinking about my legacy and mm -hmm. uh, what was the purpose of my life and, and what I could do to make a difference in the world. And uh, that led me to, to launch my first company. What was that? The first company I started was a financial services company uh, where my idea was, and you'll laugh, what if I could sell mortgages virtually out of a call mm -hmm. center and kind of completely change it? And those it's, days, it's kind of related to what you're doing with solar infrastructure financing a little bit. Right? It is. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. You know, what I saw was, wow, you can kind of sell anything virtually. Do people really want to go to banks anymore to get a mortgage, to, to get insurance? And so the first company I launched was Virtual Mortgage Company. Mm -hmm. um, then I also launched a division. Uh, it was actually a separate company that did virtual um, insurance. And yep. then ultimately, it was virtual solar. We kind of invented yep. the ability to sell residential solar uh, digitally on the internet over the phone without meeting with the customer. And that, and that became Solar City, which was bought by Tesla, right? Yeah. So um, Solar City bought the company. Uh, I was allowed to keep my other two businesses, but I went over to Solar City and became the chief revenue officer yep. of Solar City. And uh, it was a great opportunity for me because it allowed me to build a world class organization in the Silicon Valley. I had about ten thousand people that reported mm -hmm. to me there as the chief revenue wow. officer. And we built, you know, at the time, the largest solar company in the world. So you, you talked a little bit about your background where you, you, you weren't the A student and you had chip on your shoulder. Like what, what were you good at that enabled you to build these things? You, you wanted to think about big ideas, but what's, 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 your, what's your ability? Yeah, I mean, I think that I, there's probably a few things I, I've got some talent in. One of, in. one of them is the ability to identify talent. You know, I have the ability to really read a person, understand what they're good at, get them in their swim lane, inspire them to do a great job. So what I found was to win the execution competition, you've got to win the talent competition. Yep. And I had the ability to kind of identify talent, recruit that talent to come on board. And because of my learning differences, I had compassion and empathy for um, you know, other people coming in and, and also in addition to that, celebrating their talents and surrounding so myself. Sometimes they could be best at one thing and not other things. And you're able to be empathetic to that, having that yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And so I would build really strong teams that had the ability to scale. Um, and then as I needed to make adjustments within the team, you know, to top grade the organization, I had a good line of sight of what was needed for that next stage of the companies. So you're at Solar, Solar City inside Tesla, managing a huge team. You must have got to work with some interesting people there. You, you, got, you got to know Elon a little bit from that as well. Like, what's, what's he good at? It's different than what you're good at. Look, I think Elon's the greatest product mind uh, of our generation. I mean, he is just savant at his ability to design solutions. And if you think about big thinkers, you know, he always puts the consumer first and what, what the consumer's needs are first. And so um, there's a lot to admire about Elon, but I watched him make really thoughtful decisions that were always in the best interest of the consumer uh, and then push employees um, to think big and do the best work they could ever is, do. Is there an example of that with Solar City? This, this that comes to mind? Yeah, I, many. Um, I think that uh, one... Uh, you know, when it came to pricing strategies for Solar City, Elon always made a very clear um, uh, thought to say, "Look, we need to be the price leader in in the category. We need to make it accessible for more people to just go solar." And he was very passionate about that, and still is. On look, this is the right technology. We need to make it available for more consumers to adopt these technologies. 
Um, and so, of course, on the design side as well, aesthetics are, are an issue for solar. Many people, when you really study the data and you look at why they don't go solar, um, it's because of some of the aesthetics. And he's very thoughtful about designing these products and solutions so that they're aspirational, inspirational, but beautiful uh, as they sit on people's homes. When you have that level of talent in an organization pushing as hard as you guys were, because it's one of the kind of most intense places, there obviously have to be trade-offs you make. And you're a very empathetic person, and, uh, and Elon's a really hard-charging person. Like, are, are there different trade-offs that you would make that complement each other differently or, 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 or ways in which you do things differently as leaders? No, I mean, look, I, I think we complemented each other really well. He was very focused on the product. I was very focused on the human capital and the leadership within the organization for, for the business to grow. When I joined SolarCity, we had around, uh, you know, 1,200 employees. We grew that organization to 17,000 employees. And we were hiring about 500 people a month, to give you wow. an example. And we had 40% market share nationwide. There was no number two, Joe. We had uh, the next 80 companies combined didn't equal our market share. So we were doing things at the time that no one else had ever done before, a couple hundred thousand uh, systems a month throughout the country. We had a big military division. We had a big utility-scale group group, commercial organization um, that, that were, you know, allowing us to deploy these solutions at meaningful scale. And then you, and then you, you left and you're scaling what's now Good Leap, which is, you know, valued at $12 billion recently. Tell us a little bit about that. What are you doing there? Well, I think great companies try to solve big problems. And for us, there is a few problems we're trying to solve. The big one was climate change. How do we deploy sustainable solutions at scale in a meaningful way? But really, there are three critical constituents to do it. You've got to go kind of a top-down, bottoms-up. And in our case, it's the financial institutions. How do they get access to finance ESG at scale? Basically, what the banks want is the ability to finance these assets for predictable returns. These assets are big solar infrastructure projects. Yeah, residential solar projects, anything kind of ESG-related. If they can get a 5 or 6% return on those assets in meaningful chunks, they don't want to buy them in onesie, twosie loans. They want to buy them in 30 or $40 million chunks. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we saw for the banks. Uh, if you look at kind of the ecosystem of these companies that do installation, they're desperately looking for products and solutions that can be financed for zero down and, uh, and not have to rely on the customer to go to Wells Fargo to get that financing. And if you look at the consumer, the consumer wants point of sale, instant Instantaneous, I'm approved, and where the kind of the preferential option to live a more sustainable life is also also the economic option where they can save money at the same time. And Goodleap kind of focuses on that ecosystem, B2B software technology that kind of connects that marketplace. What was the insight that's let Goodleap become, you know, valued so highly so quickly? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, similar to Look, the pattern is many executives that work at large organizations see something while they're there. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, we had a big technology team. We had about 360 software engineers within the company. Most of the tech at the time was all proprietary, uh, proprietary and being developed. Uh, you know, Benioff saw the cloud before he left Oracle. Tom Siebel saw CRM uh, before he left Oracle to do CRM. So I had seen patterns of great executives lead uh, a leave an extraordinary leader like Larry Ellison. And 
um, that what I saw was the ability to create kind of a blue ocean distributed marketplace to deploy multiple sustainable solutions. What I realized was there was a labor force that hadn't been ignited. Mm-hmm. Most of them we were hiring as W-2 employees. There's a way to empower that installation network, empower the dis- distribution hubs of these products, but also partner with multiple manufacturers in this marketplace um, that would allow us to kind of deploy these solutions at a meaningful scale in a very short period of time. So you, you obviously learned about the market being in the market. What were the most important things you learned about culture or product or how to build a company that you then quickly apply? Because this thing's grown really fast. You must have taken some some notes from because you were working with some pretty good people too, even though you learned yourself a lot too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. If you think of kind of buy now, pay later, point of sale technology platforms, if a firm, mm-hmm. Klarna, Afterpay, they were very focused on kind of a digital solution that eliminated the credit card at 18% interest where you could very quickly buy a Peloton bike. Yep. Um, and, and my insight was let's design the technology for the sales professionals. Let's really understand that conversation in a retail store, whether it's a Home Depot or a Lowe's, all the way to what's the conversation at the kitchen table. And if you can design that technology in a way that allows those banks to have access to that financing, that provides that instantaneous three-second approval at point of sale, but provides the salesperson to do the job in a much easier fashion, that would enable the marketplace. And what people don't understand is, you know, you have to create kind of all of this in a digital first solution on a phone where those sales professionals can manage their entire life, their pipeline. Just all their step business. back a little bit for people who aren't as familiar with, with the business. We have so you're, you're helping finance a solar project at a home or for a big business. And so you have the people at the kitchen table making the decision. You have somebody who's, 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 sell, who's selling it to them. And then you have a se- then you have separately the bank that and the banks work with the person selling it to them to give to, to cap offer credit. And there's multiple there's multiple banks competing to offer this credit and there's multiple salespeople competing to sell. Um, so I think about it. Uh, well, think of it this way. There are multiple banks and financial institutions that want to finance it from credit unions to sovereigns to specialty banks. And, and, like and, and, and you're the layer that's helping a lot of them do that. You're giving them access to the capital. On the front end, you have a consumer that just wants to go into a tablet, enter very few uh, uh, you know, name, address, last four digits to social, and know that they get an instantaneous approval versus going to Wells Fargo and going through a process to yep. get a loan fast, to electrify fast as their possible home. To know right? they do it. So that's kind of the homeowner's situation. They want that very simple way in which they can pay for this solution, and the bank wants access to meaningful flow of capital um, at predictable rates and, and really low default rates. In the middle, you have a sales professional that has to do a job. And so do some of them work for you or are are you empowering others? You're empowering. It's an enablement platform for other companies. So that sales professional now has an educated conversation with you. They may show you a design or proposal. And then the moment it comes down to how you're going to pay for it, they're going to click the goodly button. No different than Square or PayPal. And they're immediately then going to be able to have a more educated conversation about the terms of that financing. What's critical is that homeowner needs to be in a position where they can save money from the very first month. So you can have that conversation with that consumer versus saying, well, look, your ROI is going to be seven or eight years. It's instantaneous savings. And, and, and what is this allowed in our country? Like, is this, is this led to a lot more solar being put to work? So it's going to completely transform the way 
homeowners electrify their home. What people don't know is 40% of all carbon emissions in the United States come from the home. And so and it's not just residential solar or battery storage. I mean, the battery storage attachment rates increased significantly over the course of the last couple of years. It used to be mm-hmm. 2 or 3%. Now it's like 25%. 25% now. Wow. Yes. So a lot of people want the ability to have backup power. So just, so of the people who have solar, 25% have batteries. That's right. That's great. Yeah, it's great. Now, if you think about other industries like roofing as an example, roofing is a $50 billion marketplace. That's compared to residential solar, which is about a $12 billion marketplace. But, but residential solar must be growing at a really fast rate. Growing at 25% a year for Got residential it. solar. Roofing is $50 billion, but it's still all done on carbon paper. Yeah. We're going to change that. We're going to allow the roofing marketplace to um, basically use our solutions because the roofing marketplace is also yep. transforming over to solar. Yep. All these roofers from GAF to Owens Corning. It relates together. Yeah, they're yeah. all coming out with uh, new t- tiles and different things to, um, basically to electrify the home and use solar on the home. If you think about that, HVACs, 50% of the load in a home. So all the HVAC Providers have these energy-efficient solutions. They want to deploy into the marketplace. They want to get away from the 18% credit card. So when you think about GoodLeap, we'll have a digital platform that allows these consumers to finance these things very easily um, and, and do multiple things to electrify the home and have one single loan. So this, and this, this is obviously having an awesome, awesome impact on society. It's a very profitable business. You, you do a lot of philanthropy around these areas as well. I want to ask you about to, to tell us a little bit about Give Power. Yeah, so I started Give Power about 15 years ago. Um, you know, when I was at Solar City, for every megawatt of energy we would deploy, we put solar on the school. And the insight was uh, in 08 uh, during the uh, you know the financial crisis. I felt like a loser, like a lot of people did. You know, and um, and basically took my executive team to Mali, Africa. And we laid in the dirt and we just had a grateful perspective about, you know, our lives and what we were doing. But it became very evident that these, the school that we were building in Mali, we're in this little uh, village and uh, it was a Saramburu uh, village, mm-hmm. needed electricity. And so we ended up putting solar on that school. Did you put a battery too? Or so? Yeah, yeah, we did. And um, and the, the idea was how do we extend the hours in the classroom? How do we give that school the ability to educate women? Because women... Women are fetching water till about noon every day. And so we put solar on... 2,750 schools in 17 countries. Um, As I went back to those schools and visited, kind of made me sad because um, there's a lot of guys that plug their cell phones into these schools and go figure women don't want to sit in classrooms till 7 o'clock at night when they've been fetching water till noon. So now what Give Power does, we still do schools, but we also build solar water farms. And it's some pretty cool breakthrough technology. Each container allows us to provide around 75,000 liters of water every single day. You should day. look at a picture of one of these here. So, 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 so how, how does it work exactly? It's pulling water out of the air? Yeah. So it doesn't pull out of the air. It either pulls it out of the ocean uh, using desalinization and reverse osmosis, or it pulls it out of a brackish well. But what we do is we combined solar batteries with solar energy. It all ships in a container, and we have the ability to pull that water out of the ocean for half of a half of a cent. So in my mind, it's the most affordable, sustainable, healthy water um, that can be produced in the developing world. It's per gallon? Yeah, per liter. Per liter. Half of a half of a cent. So if you think about it, it's enough water for about 30,000 people. 
And at this stage, you know, look, I want to, I want to be spending my time and energy on things where we can save lives. What's it, what's it, what's it cost to put one of these machines in place? Uh, A larger machine is about $600,000. The one that does uh, 75,000 liters a day. And then we have smaller machines. That's that's enough for like a whole town, I imagine. Yeah, it is. And, uh, and our smaller ones are, um, about $100,000. And uh, they can produce 15,000 liters of water a day. So imagine if you're inland, you can drop this into a brackish well. It can clean the water, provide water to the village. Um, you could also put these in coastal communities, the smaller ones as, as well. And you can kind of move them when For necessary. For brackish well, like is it- it somehow cleans it by going through the reverse osmosis as That's well. That's right. Yeah, the whole whole filtering system. That's awesome. And so we manufacture them here in Austin, Texas. Uh, we deploy one a month. Do you have to? Do you have to go fix them every once in a while? They break, or how does it work? Yeah, I mean, good news. It's early. They're not breaking a lot. We are on Gen three, so we're constantly tweaking. You figure out what's going to break. Adjustments. Yeah. yeah, but but look, we've built these things in a way in which we think we can handle the the operations and maintenance of them. You the community have to send your customer them. service guys to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have local teams. There's about 100 people in the foundation. And so, cool. you know, we've created this really great continuum of good between Goodleap on the for-profit side, deploying sustainable solutions here in the U.S., and then our nonprofit, uh, Give Power. And if, uh, if, people, if people want to learn more about Give Power, is there, what, there's a website to go check it out? Yeah, just givepower.org. That's awesome. So, so this is basically helping a lot of these women who had to spend all the morning fetching water. Now they can go get educated instead in these places. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we have so many different models that are working from women coming to get water and taking it and, and dropping it off at, you know, think of milkmen in the 1960s to people showing up in Bowser's, loading them up and taking them to neighboring communities. And one thing that may be inspirational or an idea for, for some of your listeners is, um, and I challenge other entrepreneurs to kind of think about it this way. Yeah. Like, I'm not really a believer in like, hey, are you an LLC or an S Corp or a C Corp or is this a 501c3? Yes, these are things accountants came up with in terms. For me, I really believe in a group of people coming together to solve problems. And so if you think about kind of this continuum that we've created, you have shareholders or employees that kind of come in and focus on solving these problems. Our capital loop on Good Leap is very obvious, is we go out, we identify sustainable solutions that lower carbon. We then identify um, people that have the ability to install them. Mm-hmm. We then bring that over to the banks and financial the institutions. Financing, yeah. Yep, they have the ability to finance it. That ultimately allows homeowners to receive zero down financing uh, and electrify their homes. And then we didn't stop there. We went out and we talked to a hundred of the companies that are on our platform and said, "Look, what if you give us just twenty dollars for every single transaction on our platform?" And they said, "Great. What's twenty dollars for?" And we said, "Look, twenty dollars is twenty years of water for someone that needs it the most." And so I'm really happy to say a hundred companies on our platform now donate $20 for every transaction on the platform. Um, that helps us raise a meaningful so amount of money. So they're making a lot more than that per transaction. So they're able to just donate something back to you. Absolutely. Basically. Yeah, that's right. And so what, what happens now is we don't just stop there. We take those companies on treks. We'll take about 360 people on treks throughout the world. It's probably good for their culture too and stuff. Getting inspired it's, by yeah, it, it absolutely you know. is. I mean, you know, you'll laugh, but you know, people come back, we give power tattoos. It's a very kind of transformative experience for for their employees to go see the tech and see them build it. And it really drives this kind of sustainable impact through a continuum. Um, And so for me, I've kind of dedicated my life to two things. One is, how do I address climate change? Two, how do I address water scarcity in the developing world? And uh, Give Power gives us a chance to do that. And these parts of the developing world, you're you're providing a lot of water to some of these towns. Is it 
is, are they able to afford to pay even a little bit sometimes to make it sustainable? Or how do you think about that? Yeah. So if you look in, um, in Kenya, you know, we just won a big award in Kenya. Um, but we charge basically half of a half of a cent and oh, we so do it through M-Pesa. Got it. You're charging it through M-Pesa. And then like, that gives you money to go fix the machines and, and support it. Basically. You want the data. You want to know yeah. who comes, uh, to the system. You want to see what, you know, sometimes they'll use the water to, to, uh, to wash clothes. Cause what people don't realize if you wash your, uh, clothes in brackish water, kids have That's lesions all yeah, over their body. It's, it's yeah. terrible. It's, it's, and you know, and then people are drinking this poison all the time. They're not just dying at 30. Many of them have, many of them have parasites. Uh, many of them have tumors. Yeah, we, t- we talk a lot about how people are underdeveloped and there's much lower adult IQs, which is probably from a lot of like these lesions and parasites and just not growing up right now. It's yeah, really tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so yeah. we have the technologies to solve these problems. I mean, think about it. What? Three billion people don't have access to electricity. You know, we can come in, we can literally dumbo drop one of these containers there. And now, you know, we're providing water for 30,000 people and we're, and, and we're charging just enough so we can cover the O&M, the system to your point. So it's sustainable. Along with giving them the water, is there something you want to do culturally to inspire them to solve their problems or learn? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, the hard part is education. So you want to educate them. Imagine you've got hundreds and hundreds of years of these people that have gone and fetched water at the river where cows urinate. And and I mean, it's just it's awful. So you have to change the education cycle to go, look, when you drink this water, you feel better. You're healthier. And so part of it is we just need to educate these people in these communities of the importance of healthy water. Then the other piece is I want to completely flip the model on women empowerment and these women that have gone and fetched water that have not been in the classroom, now there's a way for them to drive uh, economic viability for themselves and the village. And so we compensate the women to deploy the water uh, within the regions. And it's a, it's a really beautiful cycle that starts to take place. That's awesome. Well, solar itself, obviously, it's amazing it can implement this very you know, cost affordably in these regions. A lot of people debate about where our power should go. Um, a lot of my friends are running nuclear right now. I think that's a really good path. I want to ask you just about solar in general because you're doing so much of it. A lot of people say that, that that maybe some of the mining for it is dirty or that it's expensive or that if we scale it another 100 times, we're not going to have enough resources. How do you how do you think about solar at scale and about, about the environmental impact of that and how we should think about the resources necessary? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think there are real challenges with any form of energy, you know, whether it's mining lithium, like you said, or mining silicon. Um, the reason I designed this business and platform the way that it is is I want to celebrate best technologies that went out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be technology agnostic. We're going to be constantly looking for the best solutions. So if there's the something better in solar, you'd work with whatever's better Absolutely. in solar. Absolutely. Right now, that's the best solution. Yeah, the key is financing. You've got to get the banks comfortable with these assets mm-hmm. and what they are and and how they work and and know that you know they're, they're going to get returns and people are going to pay their bills. And so what I've learned is once you get the banks comfortable with these assets, you can drive down the cost of these assets through securitizations, through Kroll's ratings. That's S&P's rating. So, so by teaching them getting uncomfortable, you're, you're making it much cheaper for everyone to access it because they're able to do it. Absolutely. And so think about the education piece. You got to educate the banks first. They, mm-hmm. they lead with the capital. Then you yeah. have to educate the installation network how to install a battery yeah. or a smart thermostat or an EV charger or synthetic grass turf then, for then all these products. You have to educate the, the, the consumers. The homeowner. Yeah. yeah. And the homeowners are becoming more conscious. You know, and, and if you look at like the financial commitments, Joe, it's pretty interesting, right? The COP26 recently, um, here's some numbers that you may already already know, but 
um, you know, basically 450 of the largest financial institutions in the world, about 40 percent. They manage about 40 percent of all assets in the world, committed $130 trillion. And you say, OK, great. Where are those dollars going to go? Yeah. Um, they have to come through digital conduits like this that give people access to a marketplace to actually install something, mm -hmm. to put these products into the ground. And so whatever the best products are and solutions are, I'm always looking through for breakthrough products in the marketplace. Sometimes it's simple as a breakthrough water heater that, that yep. can, you can electrify the home to an HVAC system. And so we'll take this from not just the $430 billion marketplace as it relates to home improvement, but we'll widen that out to the commercial side of the business. Like we're talking to all the EV charging infrastructure commercially. Wow. I want to finance all that. There's going to be huge demand for so, that. So where's this going in, in 10 years in terms of the impact on the, on the country? Like what's this going to look like? Look, I, I think we will be humbly one of the um, most important companies to deploy sustainable solutions in the history of the world, you know, and and the key is the banks trust us. We've worked with them for 20 years. They've made really strong returns on us. We invented this asset class over 15 years ago, and they're they're counting on us to introduce them to the right technologies they're going to perform. Um, and uh, and 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 we're going to be there to kind of slowly educate homeowners and business owners on the things they can do to lower their carbon footprint and electrify their lives. I mean, I think where it's going is, um, you know, you and I already drive electric cars. Um, more people will be more thoughtful about the electric cars they drive. Your electric car will be fully integrated in this house we're sitting in and probably under three years with bi-directional inverters where you'll say, well, wait a minute, I kind of want to, you know, deploy energy into my car right now, or maybe I want my car to deploy energy into my house right now. And so we're, our lives are going to be electrified at light speed, and someone's going to have to think through how these consumers can adopt these solutions in a very frictionless way. My friend was speaking of electric cars. They were showing me Cybertruck yesterday. It's bulletproof. This looks pretty exciting. So <laughs> it is. Like, I mean, there's great products, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. there's so many cool products. And, and stuff the thing out. that, like, and that's the preferential option, right? When you and I step on the accelerator of electric car, it, we're pretty excited. We're like, wow, there's there's no trade off here at all. But yeah. I haven't been to a gas station in a decade, right? You know, we, we've we've driven all electric for a long time now, yeah. and you know, I still have my 2012 Tesla, and you know, it's like, okay, was there battery degradation? and all these things talked about it's like no, I can still charge mine to 240 miles, That's and so uh, and it's like whatever. It's 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 10 years later no, in, the, in these cars, and so I'm like, look, it's just part of it is just consciousness, education, and then we have to create these marketplaces and platforms for these products to be deployed. And so, so we we started the American Optimist to kind of try to push back on some of the cynicism going on in our country right now, and it's, it's obviously it's really exciting what you're working on. What what are some of the innovations in like clean energy that excite you most about what's going to change in the next 10 years? Yeah, I mean, gosh. Man, there's so much that's going to change. There's so many breakthrough products that people are playing with right now that fundamentally uh, lower costs within the home, how our cars are, are charged faster, significantly faster mm. than they are today, um, you know, supercharging networks. Uh, if, you know, if you look at um, all the big truck stops and things and how those will need to be completely rebuilt, you know, they're doing diesel fuel right now and recharging that. Someone's going to have to finance that. The whole microgrid marketplace in rural areas right now. If you look at um, uh, just basically the, the aging utility infrastructure, they're trying to think about how they're going to power mm -hmm. these areas. And, um, you know, we'll be there to finance.
finance that marketplace. Still today, this will kind of blow you away. You know, when we land in LA or somewhere, all the warehouses, there's still no financing for that marketplace today. So, hmm. you know, people that own commercial buildings are still are in a situation where they have wow. to pay for these systems. Well, you got to build faster. You got you to help yeah. them out. Yeah, so, absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of, I'm concerned a lot of young people who think about clean energy and who are excited about it are also kind of living in a state of fear today. A lot of them say, oh, I don't want to have kids because the world's so dark and everything is broken. What, what, what would you say to those people? I would say don't be so dark. I mean, this is this is one of the greatest entrepreneurial opportunities in the history of the world. It's a $50 trillion global opportunity. It's a $10 trillion U.S. opportunity to completely rebuild how we power our lives. And it'd be one thing if the banks weren't there. You know, like 15 years ago, Joe, I would meet with the CEO of some of the major banks and they'd say, hey, man, we love the energy, love the optimism. We're just not ready. We don't understand the asset class. We can't take yeah. the risk. Today, the CEOs say, Hayes, we're there. How do we finance more? I can't afford not to take the risk. My shareholders, my constituents demand that I start financing these asset classes at scale. How do we get access to it? So think about it. Where the capital flows, whether it was 1995 yeah. and it flew into the internet and the information age in the Silicon Valley or the industrial age, you know, at some point before that, we're on the impetus of this amazing transformation of how this planet will be powered. And so if you're an entrepreneur, it's a great category to look at. You know, there's a, and, and look, you got Tesla as whatever, the top 10 uh, most valuable companies in the history of the world right now. We've proven that these companies can create massive enterprise mm-hmm. value. So there's no trade-off for your ability to create wealth, your ability to, to work with the smartest people in the world and uh, and do really good things. So if you're a young Gen Z person, what do you do to be part of the solution? How do you learn about this and how do you get involved? Look, I think there are a number of companies that are trying to hire top talent right now. What people don't understand, like fundamentally, my bet is on is on four things. Okay, one, people become more conscious. They'll drive demand. More people want to drive in electric cars. Two, these products will have to be sold through a digital first platform because people have to be educated. Like, wait a minute, what's my carbon offset? How much money do I save? How's this battery thing going to work on my home? Okay. They're not just going to go online and click a button. And the third is where you are, which is, I believe that, you know, a lot of these jobs in a phone, whether it's Uber or Lyft or Airbnb or DoorDash were great gig jobs that were created in the phone. We now have an opportunity to create mission-driven, purpose-driven jobs in a phone with really talented people that can be a part of this movement. These are $200,000 a year plus jobs wow. in this space, okay, that are growing at light speed. There's about 3 million people right now that work in clean energy. I think it can grow significantly from there. And so we're, we can empower this labor force to come into this marketplace, whether it's an installer, whether it's a sales professional, whether it's software developers in the marketplace. We have not digitized this marketplace yet and created these platforms to deploy these solutions. And so there's we're early, early innings. A couple numbers that'll blow you away just as it relates to residential solar, just to show you how early it is. Only 3% of homes in the United States have residential solar on top of them. It's only growing at about 500,000 homes a year. When I started in this business 15 years ago, I think one every 80 minutes, uh, there's a solar system deployed. Now it's one every minute. But we are on this job boom for sustainability where people can come into this marketplace and great entrepreneurs can uh, can really you, dominate. You, you need talent of all sorts, basically, to help at every level. Oh, gosh. We, we cannot hire software engineers fast enough. Um, we will hire... 
here in Texas around, you know, a few thousand people over the course of the next few years. And we're desperately looking for the top talent. And the good news is, I think that this country is going through a few interesting things. One is people are really looking for mission-driven, purpose-driven jobs, and they're rethinking where they want to work and what they want to do with their lives. And this is a huge transformative category. And there's ways they actually can make a huge difference. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about it, man. I mean, I think... um, yeah, it's uh, this. This is one of the big ones, along with the metaverse and uh, you know, and all the other things all, that you and I talk about. A lot of exciting <laughs> yeah. things. Well, Hayes, that's a great note to end on. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. 